0: Hello Real Life family and friends, uh, this is Pastor Tim and we are just really kind of getting started on a series on the book of Romans and I'm just so excited to be able to teach this uh, letter to us and just to dive into the gospel of Jesus Christ and I have a couple goals for us if you're with us during this series, um, just joining in, I, I mentioned these goals last week but our goal always with studying the Bible and learning and, and uh, you know, is is to grow closer to god and so i i pray that um as paul prayed in ephesians that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know god better and that's that's always our goal is to connect with god better to know god better but in addition to that to grow in our faith because in romans we are presented with uh the the masterpiece of the declaration of the gospel of jesus christ paul just does a masterful job of presenting the gospel. And so when we hear the gospel, the Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ or the good news of Christ. And so as we are discussing the gospel, what Christ has done for us, what God has done for us through his son, Jesus, I pray that faith will arise in you and you'll grow in your faith as well. In addition to that, we're going to learn some uh, doctrines of our faith. Uh, Romans is filled with great truths that we build on to understand God better, to understand the whole perspective of the Bible. And today we're going to look at one of those called the doctrine of sanctification. So we're going to get a little intellectual, but um, it's important to know what we believe and why we believe it and what scriptures uh, you know are the foundation to those beliefs. Um, finally, I want to encourage you to memorize or join us on this journey to memorize what's referred to as the Romans Road. And it's a collection of scriptures out of the book of Romans that is uh, used oftentimes to bring people to uh, the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just a summary of the gospel and it helps us to share this good news with other people. So as you do this, I also ask for you to pray for God to lead you to share the gospel with someone in your life. could be a stranger or a friend, a coworker, a fellow student. Um, a neighbor, family member, uh, whatever, because we are the church and we are the ones that bring that good news uh, to others. And so one of the tools I've developed to help us do that is I've created this called My Life Journal, Romans edition. And inside this journal are um, all the scriptures that I'm asking you to memorize Uh, in the next couple of months as we go through uh, the Book of Romans together. And and it's a guide to help you, actually, it's a tool to actually help you memorize these scriptures. Uh, And God put this on my heart years ago to develop this tool. And I just think it works great. It really helps people to retain and meditate and understand uh, these verses and ultimately to memorize them so that they become a part of who we are And it's not a religious exercise. It transforms our understanding of God. It sinks into our heart, and it changes our lives. So uh, stop by the church. Pick one of these up. Uh, And we we ran out last Sunday, so we're making more now. And come on by and get one of these books, okay? So let's pray. God, we just thank you for the opportunity to study your word. And I ask, Lord, that whatever you need to communicate to us, each person right now, Lord, that your spirit will speak to us and you will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation as we study your word to know you better. May each one of us continue to grow into who you already made us to be through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to jump into Romans chapter 1 today. Last week I did an introduction. If you missed the message, uh, just try to find it and Check it out. Um, I've talked about pa, uh, Apostle Paul and uh, who he is and his background, his conversion, and kind of introduced the idea of why he wrote the letter to the Romans and so on. But today, we're actually going to jump into Romans chapter 1, and I don't even think we'll get through the first chapter, but we're going to have uh, a great time discussing this. So I want to start by reading Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart. We're going to come back to that phrase later. Set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord so this is just kind of the prologue or the preamble of Paul's letter but it's already loaded with some important truths I want to unpack first of all Romans 1 1 says Paul a servant of Christ Jesus a bond servant of Christ Jesus and that, that this is loaded first of all and I mentioned this last week uh, that oftentimes we think of jesus christ uh, as like uh, our savior's name and jesus definitely is his name but christ is actually his title and it's almost like jesus is the human part and christ is the god part and it's, it's beautiful how paul breaks this down and, and shares that with us but before he does that and before i look at that he says i'm a servant i'm a bond servant and that's the position that we all come to In our faith with Christ, we declare Him to be Lord. We declare, which means He's the owner. He's in charge. He's the leader of our life. He owns us. Okay, that's it's a feudal. uh, It's like a a word from the feudal system where you had a lord over the land, and everybody who was under that lord was under that uh, covering, but also under that protection, but also that under that control, right, of that lord. And we are under the control of Jesus. We belong to him. We give our lives to him because we're exchanging our death for new life. And we're exchanging our self-control for God control. And we come alive. That's the um, paradox of this, of this gospel is if we try to find our own life on our own, we try to control things on our own, we're, you know, we're going to fall apart. We're going to make a mess of it because we're not designed to do that. But if we surrender the ownership of our life to jesus and declare him to be our lord we give it we surrender it all to him we come alive we come alive and so jesus is lord is he your lord if he's not your lord you're not saved you're not forgiven of your sins and you need him you need to be forgiven you need to declare your faith in jesus not not just you know uh because you ran out of options but because he is Savior and Lord and you need to surrender every part of your life to him and so that's the position that we all need to come to uh, with regards to God as we return to him we surrender to him and we declare Jesus as Lord and Savior so we are all servants of Jesus Christ we are all bond servants for life to Jesus Christ and uh, he leads us like a good shepherd in passive righteousness for his namesake he protects us with his rod and his staff. He guards us. He leads us into uh, you know, still waters, and uh, green fields, pasture. He feeds us. He cares for us. He cares for our soul. And we have eternal life in him forever. All right, so that's Paul's position. And that's our position as fellow believers and, and children of God. But then Paul says this in Romans 1, verse 3 and 4. And I'm going to read it again, but in the New King James Version like I did last week. And he says, Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh? In other words, the human side of Jesus came through a line of uh, descendants, and and he had to to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah would be of the line of David. So King David, this is we're talking about King David, and so uh, God promised that the Messiah would be a, a seed through the Davidic, um, you know, lineage. And actually, in Matthew chapter 1, you can read how the, the descendants are listed out. And you see David, and you see a whole bunch of more people. And then you see Joseph, who was Mary's husband. And so the Messiah, Jesus, was, according to the flesh, a descendant of David, which is really important. So this is the fleshly part of God, who became a human. He came through human, the human race. He was born of the Virgin Mary but in the line or descendancy of, or lineage, of David, okay? So he's fully human, but he was also and needed to be fully God. Jesus, the human, is also Christ, the anointed one, this Messiah, the Son of God. And so we see that um, his conception was of the Holy Spirit, not of human seed, although he was born in the human race, He was born or conceived by the Holy Spirit, not a human seed. Otherwise, he would have been tainted with sin. But he was born of God without sin. And Paul puts it this way. And he was declared to be the Son of God, his divine part, with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So you have according to the flesh, he was from David, but according to the Spirit, he was the Son of God. Now, this is important because Jesus is a human descendant of David, according to the flesh, and for him to fully, he needed to fully be human in order to fully identify with us and to qualify, you know, as our substitute, a human substitute. He had to be equal with us. But also, it's important for Jesus to be the Son of God because he needed to be free from sin, not born into sin like the rest of us. Um, He needed to be born without sin, which he was because he was the Son of God. And he remained that way throughout his life. He never sinned. So he also then qualified, because he didn't have sin, to pay for your sin and mine. Okay, I know this is heady stuff, but it's very important theology that we understand that Jesus was both fully human and fully God. He was human to identify with us. He was fully God, so he was not tainted with sin. He was sinless, so he could then offer himself on your behalf and mine. That's why he is the Lamb of God. Without spot or wrinkle, he, he came and he paid the price. He was the sacrifice for you and for me. That's why we declare him to be our Lord, because he is good. He loves us. He came to save us. Amen? All right. Well, let's go on uh, and look about this, this part here as well. In um, 1 Corinthians 1.18, uh, Paul writes this in a different letter. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so it it doesn't make sense that we are giving our life to someone who was crucified, especially if you don't understand the rest of the story, that Jesus wasn't just crucified, but he what? He was raised to the dead by the spirit of holiness, proving himself to be the son of God. So that's where the whole narrative changes. If we don't believe in the resurrection, if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead, yes, we would be foolish. We would all be idiots, you know, for for believing in a dead man, right? But he is not a dead man. He is a risen savior. He is the risen Christ. He is the risen son of God. He is the Messiah. That's why the resurrection is so important to you and to me. But it goes on to say that Jesus lived a sinless life by the power of, of the Holy Spirit, and um, I want to want to read this for you. Well, no, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. The, this is the idea of the Spirit of Holiness. The Spirit of Holiness is another name for really the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Holiness. So the Holy Spirit um, empowered Jesus to live a life of absolute holiness and purity. Uh, Jesus constantly was modeling for us, his life on the earth, in dependency to God. And when he was baptized, the Bible says that he was, or that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like in the form of a dove. But that was the moment when the Holy Spirit became a partner with Jesus to actually live the rest of his life without sin and to be able to fellowship and know God and to do what God has called him to do. Um, that's when his ministry began, the power began. Um, and, And so Jesus often would remind his listeners that what he was doing was only what he saw his father doing, but it was really prompted through the Holy Spirit. The power of the presence of God upon Jesus empowered him to live a sinless life. Now, that's really cool and good news for you and for me in two ways. First of all, because he was able to do that, you and I can have eternal life through him because that validated his sacrifice on our behalf, and we already mentioned that. But the second thing, which is something we're going to talk about mostly today, is that not only can we have eternal life through him, but now we have access to the Jesus's way of life because we had the same Holy Spirit given to us that was given to Christ that empowered him to live a sinless life. So what I'm saying is that through the Holy Spirit, we can be controlled, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to not sin. Now, what I'm not saying is that uh, I never sin anymore. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you'll never sin again because you're a Christian. Um, I'm not saying that either, but I am saying that it is possible for us to live a life under the control of the Holy Spirit and when we are living that way we are not sinning we have a new power and the more that we are able to grow in our surrender to the Holy Spirit with our everyday life the less we will sin uh, not because we're get, being goody-two-shoes but because we are relying on God power now not manpower not willpower willpower is very weak compared to God power God power is the strongest power uh, in the universe, right? And so now we have God power. We have the Holy Spirit power that empowers our life to, li- to say no to sin and to live a righteous, holy life before God. So we can be totally controlled by the Holy Spirit and live uh, in holiness before God. Now, we're going to discuss this more in Romans chapter 7 and 8 because Paul talks about this quite a bit then. But for now, we're going to get into a few other thoughts and then we'll revisit this in the doctrine of sanctification, okay? So I want to read the next couple of verses Romans chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. It says, Through him, through Jesus, and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is just kind of a simple introduction of the letter that Paul is writing, but he is just putting out some loaded statements. And so we're going to pause and look at one of, a couple of those. One, he says that he's been called by God, given this grace and apostleship, to go to the Gentiles and to call Gentiles, listen to this, to the obedience that comes from faith. Obedience that comes from faith. And uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, and we will talk about it more in the book of Romans. But our obedience should flow out of our faith or our relationship in Christ. But a lot of people get this backwards and they try to obey God. They try to follow all the law or all the rules in order to get right with God. But that's backwards. What the Bible teaches and what the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches is that we surrender to God in faith, and then God comes and changes us from the inside out. And then we begin to obey. Because we are then, uh, faith in Jesus produces us to be born again in the Spirit. So now we open up the God power in us, and we're restored to be a child of God through the Holy Spirit. And now we want to obey. We're transformed from the inside out. And we're empowered by God Himself to live a new life. But a lot of people think they gotta get their act, you know, get their act together to come to God. It doesn't work that way. You can't get your act together to come to God. You can try, but that's religion. But when you place your faith in Jesus, no matter what your life looks like right now, no no matter how big of a mess it is, how how screwed up you are, you know. That that Jesus came to save sinners. He, he's our savior. It's when you're a sinner that you need Jesus, right? So we turn to him in our mess, in our failures, in our fallenness, and we call out to God. The Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We call out to Jesus and we place our faith in Him, then we're born again, Holy Spirit comes, changes us from the inside out, and then we start to obey, right? Not out of obligation or out of legalism or out of religious fervor, but out of a changed heart and a desire to know God more, to follow in His ways. And so this is really cool. This little statement is powerful. Paul is saying, I'm calling the Gentiles to come to God to, an, to obedience that comes from faith. That's awesome. I hope that sets you free from uh, the opposite thinking that so many of us have spent years of our lives um, trying to do and, and uh, to to know no, no uh, progress at all. You know? Okay, so then he also goes on to say this, and this is a, an amazing statement. He says, You uh, those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Everyone's called, but not everybody answers the phone. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the Bible says everyone is invited. Everyone um, belong, needs to, is called to belong to Jesus. Is called to be saved and redeemed. There isn't anybody that God has written off. He doesn't care about. He's given up on. There's nobody like that on the planet. God desires everyone to be saved. Everyone. But we need to answer the invitation. We need to answer the call. We need to receive and place our faith in Jesus. While everything else is free, we still need to receive. And I pray if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't placed your faith in Him, if you haven't surrendered your self-control to God to control you, to bring, bring you back to life, to forgive you of your sins, then today is the day for you. Just do that. Make that decision. God loves you. He's for you, and he's pursuing you, and he will always love you, and he desires for you to come out of sin, to know him, to know full life, to know, to know the life that he has for you. Okay, but it's your decision. You have to make that decision for yourself. You need to answer that call. God is calling you to know him. He's calling you home, but you have to place your faith. You have to receive that invitation and place your faith in him. Do that today and you will be saved. Okay, and then finally in Romans chapter 1 verse 6 uh, or verse 7 says to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Called to be saints? I ain't no saint. You know, I know this saint, that saint, this person, and I could never be a saint. Well, yes, you could be, and yes, you are. Because uh, how we understand sainthood, I guess, in some of the religious capacities is not how it's taught in the scriptures. And you are called, and you are a saint if your faith is in Jesus Christ. I want to explain that to you. And, and go through that together. In the Old Testament, only a few people were set aside for special use. Right? The high priest, the priesthood, only a few people would get close to God. Um, they had special garments. They had special requirements. They had special you know, um, things, observances that they had to do. Only a few. But in the New Testament, through Jesus, every single one of us is called to be set apart to God. We are all special, and we are all to be saints in Him. Saints in Him. Now, saints come from this idea of the the doctrine of sanctification. It means to be set apart for special use. It means to be made holy, that we're not common, but we are now to be set apart to God. And your life is to be set apart to God. You are a saint you are not a commoner. You are set apart for a special purpose. God has a special plan for you. You are a holy, we are a holy people. We are a royal priesthood. We are called out of darkness. We are grafted into the kingdom of light, right? We are different. We are unique. We are separate. We are holy. We are saints. I Hope that makes sense to you. That's who you are. And uh, in Christ, we all have good works to do that God created in advance for us to do through Christ Jesus, through our redemption. Once we place our faith in Christ, we are born again. All things are new. God has a plan and a purpose for us, and he has good works for us to do because we're special, and we're set apart for those good works, and, uh, and that's what brings us purpose and meaning, and that's what will make our life fruitful and, uh, and have an impact in eternity. Amen? So you are a saint. You may not always be saintly, but you are a saint. You are called to be set apart, and you need to follow that calling and set yourself apart to God. And the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy. So that's the primary role of the Holy Spirit. So you have, I'm not trying to cheer you up and... uh, and uh, rev you up so that your willpower is stronger but i am trying to teach you that you are a saint and the power that makes you a saint or holy or set-apartness is the holy spirit that's the difference maker in our lives the holy spirit's main job primary role is to help us become holy that's why he's called holy (laughs) holy spirit helps us to be holy he gives us the power to say no to sin he gives us a power you know, to walk as Jesus walked. So all Christians are saints. We're all set apart for holiness. And, and that means both inaction and a condition of holiness. So here's three different points I want to make. Number one, uh, sanctification really refers to separation or apartness. Okay? Here's a, an example in Scripture, Deuteronomy 7.6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. Do you see? God's called you out. You're special. You're His people, His treasured possession. You belong to God. You don't belong to this world anymore. All right? So that's, that's the idea. The first idea of sanctification is you're called to be separate. Second, uh, sanctification refers to purity, and cleanness, purity and cleanness, separation from all that is impure and evil, All right? To to be separated from evil, to be separated from darkness, to be separated from impurity. So Titus 2, uh, 11 through 14 is a good passage on this. If I just read uh, verse 14, it says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to, listen, redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So one of the purposes that Jesus has saved us is to actually purify us, to set us apart from impurity and evil. And the third point I want to make about sanctification is it also refers to moral perfection. Now, Jesus said these words simply in Matthew five forty-eight in his Sermon on the Mount, and he said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, um... That's a pretty big ask. <laughs> Be perfect? but we, So I can't do that, neither can you. But when the Holy Spirit is in charge of our hearts, when we are under the control, as we'll read in Romans chapter 8 later in the series, when we're under the influence, not of sin, but of the Holy Spirit, we, we are being perfected. He literally does change us, and He gives us the strength and the power through the Holy Spirit, to actually be perfect. Now, we're not always perfect, but that's the trajectory of our sanctification. So now, let's talk about sanctification, okay? Romans 1, 7 says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You are called to be a saint. You're called to be separated. You're called to be um, uh, set apart from impurity and evil. You're called to be morally perfect. You're called to be like Jesus. Okay, that's what this doctrine means. The doctrine of sanctification means those things, to be separated, uh, to be separated from impurity and evil, to be separated and to be morally perfect, to be like Jesus. Now, how or or why? Why are we called to be holy? 1 Corinthians 1, 2, it says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. So why are we called to be holy? Well, it's not to earn salvation. God doesn't say, you better be holy uh, so you can earn my forgiveness for your sins. You, if, you, if you do these things and don't do those things, then uh, I'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life and I'll give you eternal life. Does God say that? No, does not say that. Do a lot of people believe that? Yes. A lot of people believe that. A lot of people believe that they have to become holy to earn salvation or forgiveness of sins. But Romans is saying the opposite. Throughout this book, we're going to see, this is one of the main themes of Romans, we have something called the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. That's not good news. It's not good news to to think that God... Is requiring you to do these things and not do those things in order to earn salvation that's not good news that's bad news because every one of us who's tried that have failed that's one of our memory verses right for this past week Romans three twenty three, the first verse in the Romans Road that I'm asking you to, to memorize says this for all have sinned we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God so that's bad news if that's how it works If righteousness is based on my performance, I'm a dead man. I'm in trouble. So are you. But thank God that that's not how it works. Okay? So holiness here, God is calling us to be holy. We're not doing it to earn salvation. But now through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the one who empowers us to live a holy life, we are doing it because that's actually who we are and it breeds life in us. We are doing it to be restored back to who we really are. We're children of God. This is an identity issue. We are no longer identified by sin. We are identified by sainthood. We are not that sinner. We are a saint. We are cleansed. We are made new. We are set free from sin and the bondage of sin. We're called out of that darkness into light. You see, this is an identity issue. So God says, now you're my child, now you're saved. Here's the power you need to be who I made you to be all along. You are a saint. You are called to be separate. You are special. You're my chosen possession. You're my treasured possession. You're my son, you're my daughter. And this is is how we do it. Because when we live this way in alignment with God, we are alive. We remain in freedom. We, We are fruitful. We're filled with love, joy, and peace, right? We defeat sickness, and, and ultimately, we defeat death through, through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Do you see why? We don't do it to earn. We do it because that's who we are now. We have a new identity in Christ. We are no longer that old old person. All things are new in Him. I hope that you see the difference. And so there are two different types of sanctification. I'm going to kind of wrap things up with these ideas. First of all, there is what theologians call positional uh, sanctification. That is your actual position before God. And without getting into this too deeply, basically the idea of Scripture is this. When you place your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that we are forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. First John 1 John 1.9, if you confess uh, your sins, God is faithful and just and will cleanse you, forgive you, and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, right? So he, God forgives us, he cleanses us, and we are made right with God. That is our position. Uh, our spirit is born again. We are literally righteous in God's eyes. God no longer sees our sin. Uh, he no longer remembers our sin. He has buried it. He has removed it. He has washed it clean. Uh, he has cast it away from us as far as the east is from the west. I mean, it's gone. Okay, that's positional righteousness. You are positionally sanctified in Christ Jesus. Paul said to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are sanctified. You already are holy in the eyes of God. That's your position. He says and called to be holy. What? How can you be one thing, and yet becoming the, the thing also at the same time? Well, that's why we have two different phrases for this. That's your position, but the other idea is progressive sanctification, and that is the practicality of our life. We know that we're still sinners. We know that we still have some hiccups. We still have some baggage. You know, we still have some issues to work out. We are still becoming who God has called us to be. So in the eyes of God, we are already secure. We have confidence that we are already forgiven. We are, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We are on our way to heaven. There's no question about that when you study scripture. We are saved. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus, okay? But the second part of this now is, but we, God also is looking to continue to transform us out of into right out of the kingdom of brokenness and darkness and death into his kingdom of light and life and freedom and fullness and fruitfulness and so we all know this so we have these two ideas going on at the same time and so i just want to challenge you agree with god begin to see yourself as god sees you he sees you as his child he sees you as a saint he sees you as set apart as special and as a treasure possession he sees you in through the eyes of jesus And he's calling you to trust him, to believe what he sees in you and to set you free and to release the old identities of sin and brokenness and anger, depression and uh, loser and uh, uh, not good enough and, and whatever other labels that have stuck to you. Get rid of those things. That's not who you are anymore. And let God renew your mind to who you really are in him. This is the progress or the process of sanctification, becoming, as one great theologian said, we are becoming who we already are. Think about that. God has already called you apart. He's already called you a saint. You already are in his eyes, and now you are becoming who you really already are. The rest of us is just catching up to that reality, and so for theolo- the- theologians, I'm sorry, to get their minds wrapped around this, they have put those into two different categories. One is your position and one is the progress that you're making in conjunction with that. So the one is already done, but the other is by the Holy Spirit, God is continuing to change us and transform us into the image of the one that he loves. One of the verses that really um, summarizes this very well, and it could be Paul who wrote this in Hebrews. We're not sure if Paul is the author of Hebrews or not, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was. Because it says this, Hebrews 10:14, by one sacrifice Jesus has made perfect forever, that's positional sanctification, those who are being made holy. That's progressive sanctification. We have both. Isn't that awesome? So God Uh, The Bible says, uh, I think Paul writes this in Philippians, uh, God is faithful and he will finish what he began in you. He is going to finish this good work he started in you. And so I want to finish this message by just reading and summarizing the last two verses here for today. And it's Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. These verses, I talked about this a little bit last week, uh, are so powerful uh, but we don't have time to develop it a lot more today, but uh, this is one of the verses that this is the verse, Romans 117, that started the Protestant revolution, uh, uh, Reformation, not revolution, Reformation, through Martin Luther. So let's listen to these powerful words. Paul says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, by faith, not works, from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith, not faith and works. The righteous will live by faith. Salvation is by faith. Righteousness is obtained through faith. This is the core of the Protestant, you know, reformation. That was the that was the core idea. And that's really a core idea of all of the book of Romans. But look at this. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to save everyone who believes. Everyone who believes in this this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ can be saved. Everyone who does believe will be saved. That's what Paul is saying. No matter what your track record is, no matter uh, what your lineage is, what your sex is, what your skin color is, you know, what your education is, your socioeconomic status, none of that matters. Not what your sin record is. Everyone who comes and believes in the gospel, places their faith in Jesus, will be saved. Amen. God is for everyone. And then he goes on to say this, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Just to give you a, a real, <laughs> I mean, we could talk hours and hours about that phrase right there, but I just want to give you a quick summary because we don't have time to d- dive into it too much. But Jesus says in John four twenty-two, salvation is from the Jews. So here's how it works. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, and God called Abraham, right? Now, the law the covenants, the temple worship, the messianic prophecies all came to the Jews first. The Messiah is a Jew. Jesus is a Jew and fulfilled the law perfectly as revealed to the Jews. However, all these privileges were not due to the Jews superiority or merit, but rather for the Jews to be a vessel to convey this gospel to the rest of the world through both experiencing and proclaiming it as a light to the nations. So God Is trying to communicate to mankind and he had to pick a people to do that and so he picks a people and they that people became known as the Jews he picks a man Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and he says go from your country your leave your people your father's household and go to the land I will show you I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God begins to work with a specific person, Abraham, and gives them promises and revelation of his name and his character. And Abraham has a promised son named Isaac. And Isaac has Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. They go into Uh, slavery in Egypt and God raises up Moses to deliver the people out of slavery as a picture of what his salvation would look like for all of us in terms of our sin delivering us out of the bondage to sin and taking us to a promised land he takes the people to a promised land and then and the people the tribes become a nation and God gives Moses uh, um, the Torah the instructions the Ten Commandments and all the Torah And he begins to reveal the covenant promises to him. And in that, the prophecies begin to come. And God begins to speak about a promised Messiah who would come. And you see, so God picked a person. That person became a nation. That nation is responsible to carry this good news. To not just carry, but to embody it and then to reflect it and to proclaim it to the world. And now it's to the point where it's you and it's me, the church because we find in Romans that this good news wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the Jews to get to the whole world. And so we see this idea of Jews and Gentiles, first to the Jews, but then to the Gentiles, to all the rest of the world. And I'm one of all the rest of the world, and so are you. And now the church is born. And through through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are continuing to do what God called us to do, get the good news to the rest of the world. (laughs) I just summarized like A whole lot of stuff in just those couple of minutes. But that gives you the big picture of why Paul says, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The gospel is not just for the Jews. It is for everyone who will believe. Well, I invite you to believe in Jesus today. Pray this prayer with me, if you will. Say, Jesus, I believe in you, that you are the Son of God, that you came in the flesh as a human. You also were born of of God himself. You're the Son of God and lived a sinless life. Because of your great love for me and your mercy for me, you gave your life to save me. And God raised you from the dead, validating your sacrifice on my behalf for this moment right now to trust in you and to believe in you for my salvation. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin, setting me free from a death spiral and giving me the gift of eternal life. I'm all yours. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I have the power to live this new life, a life of holiness, a life called apart to you, a life set apart for you. Thank you that you are restoring me to who you made me to be, a child of God. I'm all yours. Looking forward, God, to how you're going to transform my life more and more for the rest of my life until you finish what you started. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me bless you as you go. And I just want to encourage you again to uh, work on memorizing the Romans road, get this booklet, you know, from us here at the church and begin to just really study the book of Romans with us. Okay. All right. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.